thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Welcome to this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty. And today, I probably will get myself in a little bit of hot water with some listeners as I discuss a a bill I referenced in last week's podcast is one that gave me some some trouble that I, I didn't know that I really thought was a good idea. Now, let me, let me set the, the context for this. If you'll recall, last week I talked about the fact that Psalm 36 describes the person who, who is wicked as one who does not despise or hate wickedness. And that sounds probably a little redundant, but, but the point of what the psalmist is trying to say is that when we've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit to turn our heart's affections towards the things of God, we would love the things of God and hate the things that God hates. We would despise evil. We would despise unrighteousness. We would despise injustice. And, 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 and so I was trying to make the point last week that that sometimes I'm not sure that within broad sections of the evangelical community, we really take evil and wickedness and unrighteousness and injustice seriously enough that we don't see them in the way God sees them and we don't respond accordingly. Now, What I want to cover today is a bill that was intended to address the LGBTQ student community in our public schools. Now, no one in that community would believe that I think that homosexual conduct and homosexual lustings are are righteous, and are good, that they are conducive to our flourishing as human beings in the way God made us male and female corresponding to one another for the purpose of giving expression to the glory and majesty of the triune God, okay? But the question is, how do we go about speaking to those things and speaking to those issues in public school systems in ways that proclaim the excellencies of God which is what we're, we're told we're supposed to be doing in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. And, and yet, at the same time, do not come across as, as so hateful that no one would listen to our explanation of who God is and, and how we see the world from a God-centered perspective. Now, let me explain this bill with which I had discomfort. And the reason I want to talk about it is because I had a friend ask me, how would I have voted on this bill? Now, here's what the bill did. It was intended to give parents a 30-day notice before their children were presented with any kind of sexual orientation or gender identity curriculum, okay? Now, on its face, 
you might say, well, of course, that's a, a good bill. Parents should should know what their children are being taught about human sexuality. And, and I agree. Parents are responsible for the teaching of human sexuality to their children and what that means and what that's right. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I get that. But we don't vote on concepts in the legislature. We have to actually vote on real bills. So I'm, I want to walk you through this bill and my thinking about this bill to see, you know, what you would think if you were in this position. And as you'll recall, I was a state legislator for a number of years. Now, if I were there, I would have had it had to have voted for this bill. And to be honest, I don't think I would have voted for this bill. Uh, I told a friend, I don't know that I would have voted against it. The other alternative for legislators is to vote that you're present, but you're just not voting yes or no. And sometimes that's uh, viewed as being wishy-washy or a cop-out. But as I said, I have no problem with the idea that that parents are responsible for the teaching of their children, particularly when it comes to issues like human sexuality and what it means to be a human being and being made in the image of God and all those kinds of things. And 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 I would want to know what's being taught to my child, uh, just just the same as a. Uh, uh, a homosexual couple, for example, would want to know what's being taught um, to the uh, the child that's in their home about uh, heterosexuality and about homosexuality. So here's what the bill says, is that you have to give the parents notice that there's going to be instruction of sexual orientation curriculum or gender identity curriculum. Now, we're going to talk in a little bit about what that kind of curriculum is, but the first thing that I would note is that the bill has no penalty attached to it. You can violate it all day long, and I guess a parent can certainly complain, but there isn't any penalty. There's not any requirement that it be investigated or that a report be given to the State Board of Education, uh, that the a report be given to the legislative education committees. There's just no consequence. And so I've, I've always been worried about bills that require something but to which, for which there's no enforcement mechanism. If you're not careful, all you've done is make a statement, and politically it may be a great statement, and, and you may fool people into thinking you've really done something when in reality you know you've not done anything because there's no consequences. And, and to be honest, that in itself would bother me. I would probably bring that up on the floor. Okay, we've made this statement. Assuming this is a good statement, assuming the bill is written well in every other respect, what's, what's the enforcement mechanism? There isn't one. So then what are we really doing? What are we really doing? Is this political theater or not? Now, I'm not accusing the sponsors of, of that at all. I'm just saying if I'm a legislator, I'm going to be asking that question. Have I passed a law that does nothing except make somebody feel good or give a parent some reason to go down and complain, but with no remedy for the complaint? Now, a few years ago, we were involved in passing a family life curriculum bill that, that dealt with teaching abstinence. And one of the things we said is that if it's actually taught by a group that's brought from outside the school in to teach it, the parent can sue, recover their attorney's fees and any damages. And if it's actually taught by the school personnel, contrary to the law, the school board had to do an investigation, make a report, 
publish it at the school board meeting, and turn it into the State Board of Education so that legislators could, could begin to find out what's going on out there in our various school systems. So there was an enforcement mechanism, but here there, there appears to be none. Now, the bill then goes on and says, but, you know, there, there are going to be situations that arise. We don't want to catch a, a teacher or principal or school personnel, um, you know, guilty of doing something wrong, even though there's no consequence to doing it wrong, supposedly. Um, so they have a couple of exceptions. It says, it's, it's not a problem. You're not required to notify the parent when you're responding to a question from a student during class. Well, that's good because uh, there's no way to know 30 days in advance of what a student's going to ask in a class. But then there's still a limitation on it. It says, as it relates to any topic of instruction. So if the student asks a question about sexual orientation or gender identity or something related to those things that's not related to the topic, let's, let's say you're doing math or, and some student says, hey, what, wasn't the guy that really became the key leading figure for computers that broke the German code? I saw a movie about it. He's from England. Wasn't he gay? Well, now, as a teacher, can I answer that question or not? That's not really the topic of the discussion. We're not talking about the invention of computers or the perfection of computers. We're not talking about World War II and, and, and uh, how, how we prevailed in World War II. So I don't know. Um, what do I do there? I just, I, I don't get that section if I'm a teacher. I don't know what that means to have that qualifier on it. You just need to say if you're responding to a question, you're responding to a question. Um, don't don't qualify it as it must relate to the topic of instruction because that then puts a qualifier that can cause you to be in breach. But if you're in breach, how, how are you going to solve the breach because you didn't know the question was going to be asked 30 days earlier? I mean, it's, it's just, to me, a silly provision. I don't get it. I, I really don't. I'm trying to get it, but I don't. Just responding to questions, period. Referring, here's another exception, referring to sexual orientation or gender identity of any historic person, group, or public figure where the referral provides necessary context in relation to a topic of discussion. So I guess, for instance, you could talk about Richard Grinnell, who Trump appointed and I think was the first openly homosexual person to serve at a cabinet-level position in, a, in an administration. So you could, you could bring up the fact that, that he was gay. Um, but if you're talking about some policy that he advocated in his cabinet position, then mentioning he's gay isn't necessary to the topic, really. So again, you've got a, a qualifier in here that can create, uh, do I need to let people know I'm going to talk about Richard Grinnell, that I'm going to talk about the fact that he was the first openly gay person in the, I can't, can I even bring it up that he was the first openly gay person? I, I, I'm really struggling with here what constitutes this exception to this instruction uh, curriculum, sexual orientation uh, curriculum. Well, let's, let's move on to actually the definition of instruction of a sexual orientation curriculum or gender identity curriculum. And it's defined this way. It includes distributing materials, administering tests, surveys or questionnaires, or instruction of any kind related to sexual orientation or gender identity. Now, again, I'm putting on my lawyer hat because, as I often said on the floor to some of my colleagues, well, the intent of the bill, and it's like, I don't care what the intent of the bill is. Lawyers are going to go over there and pull out the little green books and read the words and say, well, what, what am I supposed to do here or not do? What can I do and what can I not do? 
they're not going to say my intent is. I, I want you to be respectful here of other people's concerns about teaching human sexuality. Well, that's a very nice statement to make, but I don't know what that means I can do or not do as a, as a teacher. So, so I'm looking at these words and I'm saying distributing materials of any kind related to sexual orientation or gender identity. So you have a, a gay straight student alliance in your public school. Can they distribute materials? Well, I would say that constitutes instruction. Now, I wouldn't necessarily think that's instruction, but it is material that's related to that. It's going to talk about sexual orientation and supporting students, whether you're gay or straight, supporting your, your, your gay um, fellow students, okay? And uh, I assume that what this would now mean is that before you can distribute anything about the club or its club meetings, you need to notify parents 30 days in advance. We're going to put up a sign about our meeting that's going to be 31 days from now or the bake sale we're going to have 31 days from now. Uh, you couldn't just say, hey, let's have a bake sale next weekend and raise some money for us to go do such and such. You say, oh, no, nope, can't do that because you have to give 30 days notice of the distribution of that material. So you, you can see here there are, at least in my mind, questions about not only the enforceability of the law, but how is it administered? How does it work? And, and I, would, I would have to sit here and say to you, my friends, that while I would say that, look, I want to be respectful of what's being taught to students about human sexuality and how we're made and who made us and how we were made and the purpose for which we're made. And, of course, that gets into religious content, too, um, depending on your religious worldview or bent, right? We may just think you're a bunch of collection of atoms, and, and that's all we are. But, but here's the point. I, I have to know how to administer this law. And, and a law that's poorly worded, I shouldn't vote for, even if I supported the intent for it, because you can't administer it intent, and there's no enforcement mechanism for even administering the intent. In other words, friends, this is just, just not a very well-conceived bill. Now, I'm going to mention two other points before I close today, and this is the first thing that really comes to me about this, because there are a lot of parents Christian parents who are struggling with what's going on in the school system. And so we're, we're constantly trying to pass bills to prevent. Right now there's an issue going on uh, about um, critical race theory being taught in the, in the schools. There's questions about what's being taught on capitalism versus, uh, you know, socialism and communism and free markets. And there's questions about LGBT issues and religion issues and all of those kinds of things in the public schools. And Christians are constantly trying to say, oh, no, no, you can't teach that. Oh, no, you can't teach that. Uh, oh, no, we have to stop this in our school system. Oh, no, I need to get a notice about this before you can teach that to my student. And it came to my mind the other day something that Henry R. Van Til wrote. He was a, a Bible professor at Calvin College years ago. He wrote a book on Christianity and culture, and he made this uh, statement. One of the most subtle tactics in the arsenal of Satan is the attempt to soft-pedal the antithesis. Now, what's the antithesis? He says this. The antithesis refers to the enmity that God set between the seed of the woman, which is Jesus Christ, and the seed of the serpent, all those who live in enmity with God and persist in their apostasy from God. In other words, the non-Christian, 
the person whose heart has not been regenerated, whose mind has not been enlightened to the truth of God's Word, whose will is not bent towards the righteous commands of God. There's an antithesis there, and it's an absolute antithesis. God Himself set it up. If we want to pretend there's not, or we want to pretend that there are neutral institutions, neutral zones within this antithesis, then your argument is not with me, but with God. There are not such th no such things. There is no such thing. And so he goes on to say this. The, the soft peddling of the antithesis, to lull the people of God to sleep so that they become at ease in Zion and are complacent with respect to the world. Satan is ever trying to camouflage his real intention. He tries to make the world look innocuous to the people of God. He would have the people of God labor under the impression that there's a neutral zone in this world, a spiritual no-man's land in which they may hobnob with the enemy with impunity. Now, those are strong words, but they are consistent with what God says, that there is an enmity, and the world will hate you if you don't conform to the way the world looks at, understands, and, and believes things. And they said, they hated me, and they're going to hate you. And we want to pretend there's some neutral zone. Well, there is no neutral zone in education. You certainly can't teach history from a neutral perspective. You can't teach English from a neutral perspective because authors are trying to communicate some kind of worldview. They're trying to teach something. And the teacher can't just say, here, read the book, and whatever you think it means is what it means. Now class is over for the day. They're going to teach your child what they think that author was trying to communicate, and you may or may not like it. And we like to think we can go into a, a non-neutral public school situation where the worldview is now the comprehensive, overarching, controlling, dominating worldview is an antithesis to that of the Christian worldview, and somehow we can be in it, and it's going to be okay. Or we can create enough exceptions, and, and to me it's, it, it's kind of like trying to fix a broken arm with a Band-Aid. Jesus said to the Pharisees when they came out to See, John the Baptist, uh, Jesus didn't say it, but John the Baptist said it, excuse me. When they came out to see John the Baptist baptizing, John the Baptist didn't say, you know, there's somebody coming here who's going to make a few tweaks and a few adjustments here, going to straighten out a few little things here and there, and everything's going to be really great and you're going to like this. No, he said the axe is laid to the root because some things just produce a bad fruit. And the idea of a neutral government education is a tree that produces bad fruit. It can't produce neutrality. It will not produce neutrality. It is impossible for it to produce neutrality. And Christians need to take that seriously. We have to make some hard decisions here. And, and, and rather than, than make those hard decisions, we want to pass laws that try to keep us unspotted while being in the system. And, and my friends, I think, I think we need to take that more seriously than we do. Now I want to talk about one last little thing, and I almost hate to bring it up. I'm not trying to impugn any legislator here, but as I thought about how I would vote on this bill, I, I thought, you know, there's a lot of political pressure. This friend said, wouldn't there be a lot of political pressure on you to vote for this 
bill because it's saying homosexuality is sort of bad and parents should be responsible for the education of their children and and if you voted against this bill wouldn't it wouldn't it look uh, bad and uh, I said yeah there, there, there would be a lot of that pressure but this goes to something that's very very important that I've begun to appreciate in my own life and it comes out of a wonderful book I recommend to you it's it's about a five by seven page book less than 150 pages. It, it's um, easy read, really, but it's called Living in Union with Christ by um, seminary professor Grant McCaskill. Living in Union with Christ. And he's talking about the situation in Galatians where Paul shows up and, and Peter is now eating with the Jews because the Jews have shown up and he's no longer eating with the Gentiles. And, and Paul goes after him. And and. What Grant says, I think, is so insightful because he said, here's what's really going on here. This is not a legalism by Peter that is like, if, if I do certain things, I can justify myself before God. This is about commodifying righteousness and creating badges of righteousness in the eyes of other people by which I can feel good about myself, give myself evidences of my my righteousness okay and and paul just calls him right out here said you you were eating with the gentiles before they showed up and now you're over here because you're really trying to impress these people rather than live according to the true gospel you're showing off to another whole set of people and here's what he says paul makes this statement in essence, this is how Grant words it, Paul said about his own self when he talks about, look, if you have reasons to ground, I got more so. Well, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I did this, I did this. I even was killing the Christians. And here's how McCaskill paraphrases what Paul was saying. I advanced in Christianity, or perhaps better, in evangelicalism more than everybody else. And he says what it is doing there is he's pointing to culture and society of the religion rather than its content. And you know, that's the real challenge for us as Christians, is to be willing to do things at the risk of other people within Christianity or evangelicalism saying, well, you must not be a very good Christian. You must believe homosexuality is okay. You must believe that parents have no control over their education. And so I'll, I'll vote for the bill, even though there's no enforcement mechanism, even though it's poorly worded, and I don't even know how you administer it, and even though we're not really solving the underlying problem of public education purporting to be neutral when it can't be neutral, I'm going to go ahead and vote for it because, well, I, I can't look like I'm not Christian enough. See, that's what Peter was doing. I can't look like I'm not Jewish enough or, or, or I'm not good enough in the eyes of this brand of Christians who still think you need to be circumcised and you need to be careful about mixing with the Gentiles. And, and so, again, I'm not saying that's true of anybody that voted for this bill. But as I, as I talked to my friend about it, I thought, yeah, there, there is the tension, is it not? To say, I, I guess I'll look bad because I'm going to push a yellow light and say I get the intent of the bill, but, but I'm not voting on, on nice platitudes. I'm voting on a law that that has to be understandable, has to be administrable, uh, that has to be enforceable, and it doesn't meet any of these criteria, so I'm voting, I'm not going to vote for it. And just 
take whatever flack would come. And so uh, that's how I really want to close today is, is to encourage Christians to think about how do we live in a culture that is now antagonistic towards what we believe? And can we really hobnob, as Van Til said, with all those in that system and not expect to be affected and influenced by that system? And are we willing to make the changes in our own lives that are necessary to say, I'm going to live in a different kingdom according to a different king, according to different rules. And that may mean that I will be ostracized and I will be hated, but I can't live in two kingdoms at the same time. I can't serve two masters at the same time. And so I hope today has been helpful to you and given you some insight into what a legislator has to go through and think through and the politics and the the legal aspects of of bills. And and I hope, if nothing else, it will encourage you to um, think about your own situation, what you support and don't support, what you're willing to be involved with and what you're not willing to be involved with, but also to pray for our legislators, that they would understand what's really at issue and look for longer-term solutions than temporary fixes. So that's today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, benefited from it, and I look forward to being with you again next week on God, Law, and Liberty. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. That's FACTennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at FACTennessee.